Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdrafts up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. A week ago, we were celebrating the success of infrastructure. But this week, another I-word crashed the party, inflation, the largest year-over-year increase since 1990. How did we get here? Damian Paletta, economics editor here at The Washington Post, will explain. Damian, welcome to First Look. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so answer the questions. How did we get here? (laughs) I mean, I think it's it's almost as simple as us going from an economy that was on life support to one that's now just flushed with money. And when you have so many people trying to buy so many things all at once, it creates this huge mismatch that drives up prices. And, you know, I think initially earlier this year, we were seeing, you know, a lot of disparity in terms of things like auto prices and used car prices. You know, they were up you know, 50 percent or more. And that seemed really strange. But now what's more concerning is that prices on things like groceries, um, energy, obviously gas prices are up a lot. So the fact that this is kind of filtered out throughout the economy is something that is making it felt by many more Americans. And it's become a huge political problem for the Biden administration because they had said, you know, this is going to be transitory. It'll be over soon. This is just going to be part of the process of reopening our economy. But the longer this persists, the more of a headache it is for them. Okay, you said two things um, that I want to that I want to get to. The first thing you said was the, now that the economy is flush with money, how did it become flush with money? Well, so obviously there was almost five trillion dollars in stimulus and rescue funds that were approved um, from March of 2020 through early this year. So you know, in addition to the unemployment benefits and the stimulus checks and all the um, you know small business loans. All that money was pumped into the economy in a way to help people kind of pay their bills. And so not all of that money was spent. People got the money. They were able to build up their savings. And now they're able to go and make purchases and buy things that they want. So, you know, that I think is just pumped um, cash into the economy. And it made it easier for people to, to make these investments. As you mentioned earlier, this is a really weird economy. Usually when people are uneasy about things like inflation, they might kind of pull back on their spending. But the opposite's happening. People are trying to spend as much as they can, and that's driving up prices even more. So I think the fact that there's so many households, so many businesses that have so much cash on their balance sheets and in their uh, checkbooks, that's all kind of compounding the problem. Okay, so now I've got a a, a, um, part two question on that. So they're trying to spend as, they have a lot of money in there. They've been able to save a lot of money. But at the same time, they're trying to spend as much as they can. So is the reason why they still have this money in savings is because, does this get to supply chain issues and the fact that they can't spend, they can't buy the <laughs> things that they wanna buy as fast as they wanna buy them? A- absolutely. So for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a huge surge in people trying to buy um, furniture for their homes, mm-hmm. right? People stopped that was one of those people. and ties. Yeah, exactly. So if everyone's trying to buy furniture at once and the furniture comes over from China and China's not used to making five times as much furniture as they usually do, then there's this huge glut. And then so on top of that, you have COVID issues in China. 
So maybe some of the factories are shut down. They're trying to redirect production to places like Vietnam. That's not as simple. So you have this huge change in kind of buying power and, and that um, makes things more complicated. And so when you have, you know, Americans are trying to spend money, businesses are trying to spend money. And so it's almost like the products can't get over here fast enough. And what's mm-hmm. compounding things even more is when people hear that there's supply chain problems and they might not be able to get the gifts they want for Christmas, they're starting to buy those things now, right? So it creates mm-hmm. even more kind of a, a production panic and that's what we're in the middle of right now. Okay, so now here's the second question that I had and that was your, your um, contention that uh, inflation is spreading um, beyond what I guess economists thought it would into gas prices, food prices and things like that. Wh- why is inflation s- spreading in that way? It's a really great question. And unfortunately, there's almost like a different story with each item. So for example, gas prices are up you know, quite a bit. And the reason that gas prices are up is different than the reason that furniture prices are up. There's just not as much you know, refining going on for the amount of driving we're doing. Um, you know, th- there's been a lot more travel with, with airplanes that creates a lot more consumption on fuel prices, too. So, um, you know, that's driving those prices up. I saw that, for example, in the data you mentioned that came out this week, the price of eggs is up 12 percent. Now, it's not like chickens have stopped laying as many eggs. It's just, <laughs> just that there's a, you know, labor shortage at some of these um, production facilities. It costs more to get the packaging, to get the eggs moved. Obviously, the trucking companies that are moving the eggs are having to pay more for gas. So all that stuff is kind of filtering into each of these products. This uh, automobiles is a whole different thing. They, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the computer chips that are in cars are hard to get right now from China. So in some cases, used cars are selling for more than new cars. This, you know, the whole thing's out of whack. The sooner that they can get this sorted out, I think the better. But right now it's taking much longer than we expect. Um, um, okay, so I've got more questions than I have time. So let's do this. So when the inflation numbers came out, I guess, you know, for Americans, like, oh, my God, our inflation has spiked to the highest it's been in, in 31 years. But then what was it? Less than 24 hours, China and Japan, the other two biggest economies in the world, put out their inflation data. And it's similar for Japan. It's the highest in 40 years. So what do we what do we make of what do we make of this and how given that how can the Biden administration continue to assert that inflation will be temporary or transitory if it's a global trend? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and you know, in a lot of ways, some of the criticism of the Biden administration on this has been a little unfair because it's not like they've you know spent uh, trillions and trillions of dollars to to you know, flood the economy with money. A lot of that was done before. And like I said, there's all these computer chip issues and, you know, furniture buying changes in the American public that are making things even worse. But I think as the Biden administration has found, their explanations aren't exactly holding up either. And as you know, when you're explaining, sometimes you're losing. So they need to come up with a better message on this because a lot of Americans just aren't satisfied with the way the White House has been saying, oh, it's going to go away. This is just a temporary thing. Don't worry about it. Obviously, it's not just a temporary thing. It's going to drag into 2022. And so I think the more that they can convince people, listen, you know, egg prices are up 12%, but your 401k is up, you know, 25%. So there's a lot of different things happening here. Not all of them are terrible and hopefully they'll even out uh, soon. And actually that's a nice segue into the the next, the last question I have for you in the time that we have left. 
Um, but the mixed signals that we're getting from the economy, you mentioned the, the stock market is through the roof in, in, into record territory, but we're seeing lower weekly jobless claims, record number of job openings, but millions aren't getting hired. So what's going on with that real fast? Yeah, so there's just this mismatch right now. Still millions of Americans want different jobs than the ones that are available. They don't want to go back to work at restaurants. They don't want to work in, you know, big kind of warehouses. They want to work in jobs. Maybe they can work remotely where they feel safer, where they have more flexibility with childcare for their kids. So they're kind of waiting it out to see if those jobs open up with better benefits. And they're not necessarily going to jump at the ones that are open right now. Damien Paletta, we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> anytime, <laughs> anytime. A great way of explaining all of these complicated economic issues in plain English, which just personally speaking and selfishly, I really appreciate. Damien Paletta, economics editor at The Washington Post. Thank you for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. My pleasure. You too. Now, we're going to keep the conversation going with the Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my uh, Washington Post columnist colleagues, E.J. Dion and Jennifer Rubin. Welcome back to First Look. Good to be with you all. All right, uh, E.J., I, I'm going to start with you. How damaging is um, inflation, and particularly the inflation news we got this week, to President Biden's uh, Build Back Better agenda, his overall economic agenda? It shouldn't be damaging. I think that was a great conversation with Damien. I agree with you what you said about him. And I think a lot about the politics and the substance of this hangs, uh, if I can uh, allude to Bill Clinton, on what the meaning of the word temporary is. Um, hmm. I was struck by three great columns overnight, one from Gene Robinson in our paper uh, suggesting Biden could tap uh, the strategic petroleum reserves to try to bring down uh, oil prices. I think if it could do that, it would be a good move to signal he really cares about this inflation problem. Um, because as uh, Catherine Ryan Powell, another of our colleagues wrote, um, it's important to take this seriously. But there's a third column uh, by Paul Krugman in the New York Times that I think is really important. If we overreact to this inflation, put the brakes on real fast, when in fact this is temporary, not temporary like tomorrow morning it all clears up, but probably a six month thing uh, where we begin finally to get these supply chain problems fixed. By the way, did you ever expect the word supply chain to be discussed in bars and diners across the country? <laughs> but if we can get some of these things fixed, um, inflation will start coming down. And I think Biden has to sell his plan in part as a way to bring inflation down because all the economists, most of this money is not dumped into the economy as the earlier rounds of spending were. This is spent out over a long period of time and it's designed to bring down costs for uh, especially childcare, uh, which is a huge burden on families. So I think Biden has to be aggressive in linking both the infrastructure bill, which will make us more productive, and the new Build Back Better bill as good for us generally, not inflationary in any traditional sense, and actually good for prices in the long run. EJ, let me stick with you uh, uh, on this question, because the other thing I was thinking of in terms of um, selling to the American people that this is indeed temporary and that we shouldn't overreact. Um, also knowing that this inflation isn't just a 
United States only problem. The fact that the, that China and Japan have had similar uh, spikes in inflation does that add to the argument that this is that this is temporary and that we shouldn't be overly concerned and overreact? Or is the fact that Japan and China have had similar spikes means that we actually should take this a little more seriously and that this won't be as temporary as the administration would like? Well, I mean, we can we should just face up to the fact that the economists are deeply divided on this question, mm-hmm. temporary, long term. I am inclined to agree with those who say it is temporary. Again, temporary isn't tomorrow morning it goes away. Temporary means it's just not something that's going to be deeply embedded like the uh, inflation of the 1970s. Um, right. and, I, so, and I think we've got to separate the idea from concerned and overreact. Sure, you should be concerned because this affects the pocketbooks of a lot of Americans. I love the conversation mm-hmm. about egg prices. I never knew uh, as much about egg prices as I do uh, now. And you know, on all groceries and all that, that affects people. On the other right. hand, if we overreact and slam the brakes on through the Federal Reserve and pull back spending, we could destroy the recovery that we are in the middle of. And that's the last thing we should want to do right mm-hmm. now. Jennifer, your your view on all of this, um, especially since um, you wrote a column this week that said that uh, President Biden has failed to discuss what voters care most about, and you know, gas prices, egg prices, um, um, uh, housing prices, car, new car, used car prices, uh, inflation. Talk more about this. Well, I think the president um, loves details and loves policy, and normally that's a good thing. But I also think the messaging, because he is trying to do so many things in so many areas, has gotten very blurry and frankly confused Americans, even those who follow the news. Um, And I think what he needs to do is kind of explain overall what he is doing. And as EJ pointed out, why that is not only good for workers, good for the economy, but does address this inflation problem. And he really has two baskets of things, although you might not know it from these kind of long-winded, meandering speeches. On one hand, he is trying to maximize income for Americans, for working class people. He has the infrastructure plan, which, as he says, is a blueprint for blue collar jobs. So that is a pro-income, pro-employment measure. Everything else that he talks about should be about lowering costs. In other words, the middle class is getting squeezed. Um, Their incomes have flattened out and their prices are going up. Biden, if he wants to restore some confidence, needs to reverse that. He's the guy who's going to maximize income and look at all the ways he is trying to reduce costs. He is attacking the so-called supply chain problem. His uh, policies are filled with ways to reduce spending for ordinary Americans, whether it is child care, whether it's senior care. Um, There may be some version in there of um, reduction for uh, prescription drugs for Medicare, which will filter out through the rest of the economy. So I think if he makes it very simple and he 
follows those two kind of categories, um, I think he'll be able to convey what his policies are really about. And right now there's so much going on, it's such a muddle, and then you have the Republicans, of course, throwing up dirt and throwing up these um, sort of stray issues and kind of phony uh, populist and cultural issues that it's really hard for people to figure out what's going on. So he's got some good news. He's got uh, some job numbers that he can brag about. He has passed the infrastructure bill, which is the most popular part of his plan and is a bipartisan uh, plan. Um, and now he's got to, I think, help sort it out and make it really clear. And as we know, in this environment of 24-7 news and the cacophony of issues that the Republicans throw out, you have to do it over and over and over again. And everybody in the administration has to be on the same page. And the president really needs to get out there just about every day and use that bully pulpit. So it sounds to me, and listening to you, Jennifer, it's the, the policies in, in uh, Build Back Better aren't the problem. It's the messaging that's the problem. Um, focus, focus on reducing costs for, for everyday Americans as opposed to here, we wanna give away to, the, to some Republicans' minds, give away these things to the American people. Um, I wrote myself a note here and I can't read my own handwriting. I wanna go back to, some, <laughs> back to something that EJ said, <clears throat> excuse me, in his um, response to my first question, where EJ, you said that the president should, um, uh, you agreed with a column, I think Gene Robinson wrote in the paper today about releasing um, the strategic petroleum reserve, oil from the strategic petroleum reserve. This always comes up when gas prices go up. And I just wonder how much real impact would that have on gas prices? In the end, would that be more symbolic than um, anything else? You know, it gives the president uh, the opportunity to show that he is taking action when the result is might be negligible. Yeah, well, I, I think. think oh, Jane, go ahead. Uh, Jen, Jen, uh, Jennifer, go and then EJ. Okay. Um, yes, I think it would be marginal at best. Um, fuel prices are only one of the problems. Using the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve um, has a modest impact, if at all. Um, lots of other factors uh, affect gas prices. But I do think it's important for him to be seen doing something. And whether it's the Strategic Reserve, whether it's working out a deal with the unions and the ports to operate on a 27-4 basis, whether it's meeting with big retailers like Walmart um, to try to get them to guarantee that Christmas gifts are gonna get there on time. Mm. All of these things I think has to show that he is engaged. He knows that this is a problem. He knows that Americans are anxious about it um, and to really be seen active in addressing it. It's very mm. interesting that rather than um, kind of flee from Biden, what you hear from Capitol Hill is Democrats wanting him to be more involved. They want him to be more involved in the final negotiations for Build Back Better. They want him to be out there more. Um, they need to have a president who can command the public uh, attention and who they can essentially rally behind because as we know, the midterm elections are around the corner. Mm -hmm. You know, Aniche, before you respond, um, um, I, I was remembering, here's the note that I wrote to myself. Um, Yesterday, the, the White House announced that the president is going on the road. He's going to New Hampshire and he's going to Michigan. Um, all both of them infrastructure related um, infrastructure related events. So that's one thing. But EJ, in answering the question that I also posed to to Jennifer, 
gets to the larger, this larger issue or this larger question. How much control does a president actually have over the economy? And is the president really reduced to largely symbolic acts um, to telegraph to the, to the nation that he's taking action while at the same time those actions to use um, um, the word that Jennifer used, marginal, the impact at best? You know, that's a great question because, you know, we are not, contrary to fears out there, anywhere close to being a state socialist economy, nor will we become a state socialist economy, which means that a lot of what happens in the economy is outside of the control of the president or government. That's number one. Number two, on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, I'd like to see, uh, I'd like a sort of careful studies of what that would actually do. But I agree with Jennifer that it's important he takes some steps just to tell people, hey, I hear you. It's important that people know that. But the third thing is he doesn't want to make the whole narrative in the country about inflation. Um, he because that will only feed the panic that could lead right. to bad policy. And that's where I think he really has to get out there. Uh, it looks like oh, there he is in the country and say we are solving other problems here that are just as important uh, and maybe in the long run more important to American families. I think at some point a big, ad, uh, you know, primetime address might be in order to kind of pull all this stuff together. And I just have to mention one of my worries about the, the length of time it's taking to pass Build Back Better goes to a very good piece Jennifer wrote a couple of days ago. We can't lose track of the threat to our democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Congress really does have to pass uh, the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, that's going to take a lot of time because if Joe Manchin agrees and we're going to find out um, to uh, reform the filibuster to try to get some of these through, um, it's going to take a lot of time to get this done. And there is not a lot of time between now and the beginning of the preparations for the 2022 elections. So I think right. the president really has to be out front on that, too. And to your point, you know, it's not like uh, Congress hasn't been doing anything on those two bills. We've seen the, the, those two bills go down in a ball of flames uh, what, three times already? Um, we, and speaking of time, we are running out of time, but speaking of the threat, to the, speaking of your, your um, comment, EJ, about the threat to democracy, gotta talk about January 6th Select Committee um, before we get out of here. Um, we were supposed to see documents released from the National Archives uh, from the, the Trump White House, and at the last minute last night, a court stepped in and said no. Uh, those those documents uh, uh, can't be released. I would love for each of you to close us out. Talk about why it is important, if you think so, that these documents be released by the National Archives and given to the select committee in terms of this overall fight for our democracy. EJ and then uh, Jennifer, who's actually a lawyer. Yes, it's very important. And I hope this court action is only a temporary delay and that they go along with the judge who said, you know, Trump has no claim to block these documents. The one thing I have some confidence in is this select committee understands that it has to move fast. It's got to move fast with whatever information it can get. It's doing a lot of interviews. Um, and I think they know they need to be out with this sometime 
or early to the middle of next year, because we don't know what's going to happen in the congressional elections. I think they are well aware of the urgency here. And Jennifer, as I alluded, you are actually a lawyer. So your your view on all this. Uh, I don't think the Trump people should take any comfort in this temporary stay. Essentially, the three-panel judge, which is not a particularly friendly, in fact, it's a not a friendly uh, Trump uh, panel, they've ruled against uh, many of his bogus claims before, um, is doing the right thing. They're basically setting an accelerated briefing schedule. Accelerated in the federal courts means um, the end of the month. Um, but <laughs> I think he's going to lose and lose badly. And frankly, even the Supreme Court has turned down these overly broad claims to immunity that uh, Trump has uh, kind of cooked up. I think the committee is doing exactly what they need to. They are sending out a flurry of subpoenas. And what they are trying to do is get their arms around what was essentially a conspiracy, um, that there were people inside the White House, outside the White House. There was this command center at the hotel near the White House. Um, there were his own aides. And they were all working in common purpose, which was to thwart um, the counting of the electoral votes and the installation of a new president. And that information yeah. is going to be the building blocks of the story they can present to the American people. And it will be the building blocks that they can then hand on a silver platter to the Justice Department, which will then have to make the very tough decision, who are they going to go after in terms of criminal responsibility? And will they go after the former president of the United States? And right now we're waiting for um, the DOJ to say what they're going to do about the criminal contempt referral from the House on, against Steve Bannon. But next, um, those flurry of subpoenas that came out this week, every day from November 29th through this to December 15th, um, someone's supposed to show up for a deposition and they, a lot of them most likely won't. So we're gonna have to leave it there. EJ Dion, Jennifer Rubin, thank you very much for coming back to First Look. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.